You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It is a foodie, foodie episode for you today. We're in conversation with King of the Grill, Hatem Matar, the first Arab pitmaster in the studio, talking about his journey from corporate life to domination on all things fire. Courtney Brandt has the latest food news and people confessing their rat snacks. Mine's absolutely disgusting. We're Chef Ali Astulamist bringing his Greek touch to Conrad Dubai. Tiffany from Spinney's getting spicy and Roberto's head chef sharing his signature Italian dishes. It's an international one and guaranteed to make you hungry. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Hatem Mata is here. He is the first Arab pitmaster. He's the boss of the barbecue, a dad of two, a restaurateur, an urban farmer. He has introduced smoked and live fire cuisine to the UAE and is the culinary ambassador to the UAE embassy in the US. So how is it? Have you got more hours in the day than anybody else? No, no just less sleep. Less <laughs> friends, actually. It starts with less friends. <laughs> We're just completely sacrificing the social Yeah, life. less friends. Well, your loss is our gain, friend. It really, it really, really is. We're friends. We are. I'm, I've had many a question. You've got a lot of fans around the UAE. Thank you very much. Now, I've heard your origin story before and love it. But for anyone who hasn't, where and how did this all start? We're going to do this one super quick. Okay, so, go on. Uh, oil and gas job. Went Co- corporate. To, corporate, yeah. VP of a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Uh, a steady paycheck, mind you, which was great. I miss that. I miss you, paycheck. Um, <laughs> let's manifest that. Yeah, back yeah let's life. do that. Um, had brisket for the first time in Houston. Brought it back. Um, almost got arrested at the border when the dogs barked at the suitcase thinking it was drugs, but it was brisket vacuum sealed in my thing. Didn't want to go through that process again. Started cooking it in my backyard. Uh, brisket is a big piece of meat. Fed the neighbors. Then the neighbors' neighbors came. Then the neighbors' neighbors. And then people started showing up to the house to eat. Um, house, uh, events, catering, restaurants, restaurant, singular, restaurants, mm-hmm. plural, no more oil and gas. A lot of barbecue. A lot of barbecue. Yeah. Tell us then about that first pop-up where you were, you know, legit charging people to eat your food. It was the first one at Al Sakal. Al Sakal, exactly. What, what was that like? I had no idea what, I had no idea, like, it would be what it became. Mm-hmm. But um, we were overwhelmed with the response and we're like, okay, we got to step it up a notch. Because it, throughout the entire line, even though it was one sandwich, one smell, maybe 68 nationalities by the time we had done the two-hour line, everyone was like, man, the smell reminds me of home. So I realized right then and there that we weren't doing barbecue. We were purveying emotion and 85% expat. Everybody was looking for a sense of home and we were literally putting that on a plate. So it, it went it went really well from the beginning, but by accident. I'm not a very smart guy. Well, you said, you know, we built a community that turned into a business, not yes. the other way around. Tell 100%. us about that. Um, exactly, exactly what happened in the line. The, the Norwegian crowd, the Japanese crowd, the Lebanese crowd, the Turkish crowd, the Portuguese crowd, they all have live fire cuisine. Mm. And any wood that starts, the most recognized smell in the world is fire. Right after that is coffee. So if you open a barbecue, this is a great idea, by the way, if you open a coffee and barbecue business, you're on easy street. <laughs> I don't need to ask what's coming next. <laughs> yeah, you know, the human, the human brain is hardwired for those two smells. So we were wafting that smell and people were like, oh my God, this reminds me of wherever they were from. Um, did you have a bigger goal then back then? Were you, were you thinking, okay, I might have this as a side hustle? Or do, did you have kind of eyes on the prize that one day I'm going to open up no, multiple restaurants? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I was just overwhelmed that people were so, first of all, that the food community, shout out to the hospitality community, was so welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to find my feet on the job. Um, and then afterwards, that people really believed in the cuisine and they loved what we were doing 
on the palate side, but loved the story as well yeah, and like loved us. Well, you can, that's the thing. We love great flavors, but we don't just go out to eat. We go out to connect with people. 100%. And I mean, I go out to, you know, people watch mm. and, you know, m- you know, make friends and chat and see what's going on. And I think you are exactly right. You've tapped into something so much more than just the food. It's nostalgia. It's connection. Yes. It's culture. Yeah. Um, I wonder what you wish you'd known back then oh man <laughs> i <laughs> i wish i would have known that uh, hospitality uh, is a non-stop job like mm. it's not uh, you wake up you go to work and then after 6 p.m you're done actually no hospitality is you show up you're ordering mise en place then dinner service and then you're figuring out what went well during dinner service and what went wrong mm-hmm. to wake up the next day and do that but that's uh, an 8 a.m start and a 12 p.m finish Every day of the week that the restaurant is open. And that's your business as well, right? Yeah. So much more on your shoulders when you're thinking about starting something. And this is across the board, not just hospitality, but I think more so when you're the ones who are working when other people are celebrating mm, having mm, their time mm, off. It's, you're the ones who are, well, you're doing HR, you're doing PR, yeah. you're, you know, yes. you, you're doing, um, you're, ch- you're chasing the work, you're doing the work, you're invoicing for the work. Like it, it is absolutely non-stop and you've obviously got the passion that keeps you going though. that's what it is if you're not a hospitable person don't be in hospitality mm-hmm. it's that it's not a quick buck people think because of how well hospitality is done as an industry now and people are like oh my god i'm gonna open a burger place don't <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you this is personal advice if you're open seven days a week and it's your place you will be there seven days a week you will do nothing else but what's interesting and i think um Lash, who was uh, joining us on the show recently from La Lila amazing, She's so cool. But what I've noticed, and I'm not unique in this observation by any means, is that the people that do well are the people that are there. They mm. are the people that are, you know, you're there at fire, you know, greeting people, you know, Lash there, you know, opening up this this, this new space, and mm. because you get that connection with your diners, you get to see what's resonating you get to yes. tell the stories behind the dishes and yes. i think a lot of people have this great idea of like oh well, this is what's missing from the market i'm going to start it and i'm going to kind of back away no no <laughs> chance. No, no absolutely not no the chance. the um the 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 hustle of the struggle is real and in arabic we say uh uh like you're the one standing in the, uh, in the work you're li- literally and figuratively standing in the work and if you're doing that then you're going to do a good job if you're going to you know do it remotely good luck you're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. He is the man at the grill. Hatem Matar's with us this afternoon. I want to know two things from you, sir. Okay. One, what would you call your memoir? So, really quick. You know I write a lot, right? I know. Um, so, I have journals that uh, I title something um, for them to be a certain theme. And then I stop writing in them, not when the pages run up, but when that theme is exhausted. So long time ago, there was a journal called Chronicles, and it was just, you know, my day. And then um, there was another one called The Observatory, and it was me kind of on the outside looking at stuff. And then university came, which was, you know, emotional. You know, it's university. That journal was called To Save My Heart. Okay. Okay, wait. Okay, wait, because it was, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so at one point in time, all three of those together were me currently. So the memoir is called it's not would be because it is written kind of it is chronicles from the observatory to save my heart i thought you could say something really basic like smoking hot no 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 <laughs> beneath this titanium kevlar wolf exterior is a soft and tender heart oh, i love 
love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Get it published, please, if you wouldn't mind. Motivate. We've had so many questions for you, sir, on the barbecue front. We are going to get through as many as we can. Before we go to the text line, I want to know, let's talk fire. Let's Um, do it. I was there on Monday night with the lovely Tiffany from Spinney's. You had an incredible evening. Nine chefs coming together. Nine courses for one amazing cause. It was putting those hands and hearts together for Turkey and Syria. Mm -hmm. And it was a resounding success. You sold out two sittings. Yeah. For anyone that hasn't been to fire, it's there at Maidan. How did the opportunity come out? Because it's just incredible. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, the uh, fire is actually uh, the relationship between myself and a gentleman named Tamer Al-Khayot. Tamer opened Pinza in 2015, the week before that Matar became a thing. Okay. And... As soon as we opened, we messaged each other. I congratulated him. He congratulated me. I'm like, man, we're making really cool sausage. I'd like to put it on a pizza. Sent it to him, made it on a pizza. He realized I didn't have a trade license. He's like, you can't supply me anymore because I was cooking out of the backyard. 2015. Fast forward to COVID. Right before COVID, we had the brisket pizza, the matar pizza, the matar brisket pizza, which was selling out nonstop. Mm -hmm. And then this space came up and our relationship through food and all of the stuff that we've done together was like, hey. I need a guy that can handle the fire. I'm like, say less. And we built the space to reflect everything that he wanted to do aesthetically and everything that I wanted to do culinarily. And there we have it. Well, I went to play paddle there about a month ago yeah. and hadn't realized you'd opened. I think yeah. you'd only been open like, I don't know, a day. A day. Um, and it was nine o'clock on a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. And there was not an empty seat, I would say in the house, but, you know, on the ground. Yes. It was proper fire. Honestly, the response has been amazing. You've really obviously tapped into that local community around Maidan, Uh but people are traveling for that food. It's true. Tell us a little bit about the concept in terms of how and what you're cooking there. So, um, you know, the the term barbecue pigeonholes what we do into Mm. like kufta kebab, burgers, hot dogs, and we're not doing that at all. The entire menu is live fire cuisine. Um, you saw it yourself. The kitchen is open. You can see the person making the dish that you ordered from start to finish. No secrets. And you can see that the fire is burning there. We turn charcoal into uh, – we turn wood into charcoal and then different woods for different things. And it's um, – even from the salads all the way down to the to the dessert has passed over some sort of fire for it to come to your table. That's so so live fire cuisine made from scratch, all analog, handcrafted, heartfelt. And I think elevated as well. And we saw this um – at Farmhouse, we're seeing at La Table at DIFC mm. as well. I think I think you're right. That barbecue kind of does a bit of a disservice. Yeah. And we saw it certainly on Monday night, that beautiful kind of rolled chicken balatine. Thank you. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Message has just come in now um, from Kevin saying, how can you time everything when cooking on an open fire? Impressive. Oh, wow. That's a very... Man, first of all, hats off for such a great question. Um, it comes from the experience that you know from the size of the, let's say, a protein a, a, um, what's it called? A steak this thick mm-hmm. over this kind of fire on average plus or minus takes this amount of time and a, a trusty instant read thermometer, right? But it is it is experience. It's a lot of trial and error. You lose a lot of stuff uh, learning, but it's trial and error. And I want you to make me hungry. Okay. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about what's on the menu at fire and what what a what a diner is really going mad for. So um, we we've got uh, I think uh, some of Dubai's best steaks. It takes six hours to get our whole muscle ribeye and our whole muscle tomahawk and our whole muscle tenderloins. Like we don't cut them portion um, sized. The whole muscle goes on the grill and it's ash that we built from 10 a.m. And it's a really low fire. So it takes us six hours to get to your to get your steak to medium. 
So it kind of breaks my heart when the black and white community comes and says, I'd like it well done. And we have a principal thing, but our steaks are incredible. The sandwich, you can't miss the sandwich. Um, Our business uh, partner and the man behind the burgers, um, Faisal Yabrudi, and I was principally against the burger. Um, because I'm like, I don't want to be another burger joint. Give but the people what, what they, they want. want. Exactly, exactly. And it's a great burger. Isn't it though? It's yeah, so Faisal, Faisal knocked that one out of the park. Our pastrami is different. Fatir is there from Farmhouse. And it is still Hassan that's been making Fatir for my family since I was 15. So he's there. He's making Fatir stuffed with all kinds of stuff. Um, and des- desserts? Des- uh, dessert, grilled pineapple, lemon meringue. Um, dulce de leche I missed the lemon meringue. Did you? Yes. Okay, come back. I, as if, as if, as, <laughs> as, as, as if, if that I'm means an invitation. Really yeah, yeah. Um, I will, can we talk a little bit about brisket in particular? Yes, ma'am. Can you talk to us about how where that process starts? Because you put in the hours, but my goodness, it's worth it. Yeah. So brisket, believe it or not, people didn't know what to do with it when there was no refrigeration, and um, if you didn't grind it into um, like ground beef, which mm. it's fantastic for. If you want a, a good mix for hamburger, buy a whole brisket, grind it, and it's perfect. It's 70-30, naturally. Um, but people just, sorry, just break that down, 70-30. 70, 70 protein, 30 fat. Thank you. Okay. Just <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, but you're, know, by the way, you're, need... no, you're no slouch. You know all of this stuff, eh? <laughs> I know, but that's because I, you know, take an interest. But I think let's not make any assumptions. Yes, yes, you're yes. You're like, you but know, you know, do- you, know you know all of this stuff. <laughs> okay, go um, on. So brisket, uh, nobody could refrigerate it. And someone just by chance happened, a butcher left it next to a fire, came to pick it up, to throw it away. It fell apart. And he's like, oh. <gasps> and then it went from two cents a pound to two dollars a pound. <sighs> Um, instantly overnight. And now it is the gold standard for barbecue. Mm-hmm. They don't ask you to cook a, a steak or a burger or they, if you can cook brisket, then you can call yourself a pit master. If you can't, keep on trucking. Tell us about your process of learning how to become the oh pit master. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there, was the, uh, there was the figuring it out in the, in the backyard. Then there was the apprenticing in Texas. Then there was coming back and applying those things using our spices mm-hmm. with the equipment that we had. Um, and then there was trialing it and erroring it to see salt up, smoke down, hickory, mesquite, too much salt, not enough salt. I don't know if cardamom goes here. And now we've got, I think, the world's only third culture barbecue. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Hatem Mata with us this afternoon. He is the first Arab pitmaster um, and he's taking your questions and mine this afternoon. How do you feel about a little live hot barbecue clinic let's do it let's do it okay well this has just come in now from salvador saying is there a difference between grilling and barbecuing oh my god what a fantastic I question feel like there that's is. like that's almost like a philosophical question 100 percent. grilling is anything above 275 fahrenheit don't ask me what that is in celsius no idea i don't know how the americans still get away with using that as a <laughs> unit of measurement you're in texas and they're like oh my god it's 100 degrees i'm like what this is meaningless what 100 <laughs> degrees of what um, so uh, barbecue is anything low and slow, so anything below 275 Fahrenheit um, and uh, indirect heat. And then 300 Fahrenheit and above is considered grilling. So this is actually a culinary difference. There you go, Salvador. I, every day is a school day. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ambreen saying, I love Hatem's food. Any tips for cooking fish on the grill? It's presumably not as forgiving as some meat Absolutely. cuts. Absolutely. So uh, cooking fish on the grill is a question of moisture and a question of fat content and a question of which side down are you going direct on the grill. Mm-hmm. Um, give yourself a break and cook uh, fish on the grill in direct heat. Put the heat on one side and the fish on the other side. Um, make sure you've got oil on the skin so it doesn't stick. Um, and then uh, if you want to add any wood chips or anything like that, 
uh, be careful that fish uh, absorbs the flavor a lot more than chicken or beefs and you don't want it to overpower it so it's acrid. Uh, be very light on your fish. Close the lid. And don't flip it, don't handle it too much, and indirect heat would do it. There you go, Ambreen. Uh, you mentioned oil there, which was what Jamil's asking, saying, mm. should you use oil on the grill, and if so, what type? We've heard it's about a, kind of oils having different smoking points. Yes, do you exactly. have a preference? There's, there, there, I mean, that's a very generic question. Do you use oil? Depends on what you're making, number one, mm-hmm. right? But uh, a high flash point uh, oil, you don't want to use olive oil uh, on there, um, um, di- especially for direct grilling. Depends on what you're making. Um, but you, if you're making a burger, you know, uh, traditionally our parents would flip the burger every like th- three seconds and mm-hmm. they want to keep flipping. The burger will tell you when it's done, when it pulls off the grill. And that fat renders out, so you actually don't need to put oil on the grill. Oh. So it actually depends on what you're cooking. We used one of your tips the other day when we were camping. What did you do? Uh, we lit the fire with the oil with thing. the oil yeah um, girl we did honestly yes, nice. Nick was like we didn't bring any lighter for you and I was like yeah but you know what we do have Katamata's <laughs> mad skills I love it go yeah on. girl for, for anyone t- nice. who doesn't know this go on what's, um, what's so, the deal um, the, the most dangerous thing in any kitchen and in general is an oil fire because you can't put it out with water and neither will the wind so you actually use that to your advantage you um, really cheap oil make almost like a bouquet uh, roll some paperwork squeeze it at the end Pour oil into that and then set the non-oil part on fire. By the time it gets to the oil, you've got like an Indiana Jones torch for like 15 minutes. There you go. Yeah. That was us feeling like we were connecting with nature. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the masculine I'm, points. I'm, going to I'm glad I was there with you. You were. Thank now, you. I don't want to start an international dispute. However, Ziad saying, where does Hatem think does the best barbecue sauce? And you can't say your own. Uh, no, no. I, I, we, we, we shy away from barbecue sauce, actually. But, oh, man. <laughs> that's barbecue sauce in general for barbecue is like going to an Italian pizza chef and asking for ketchup. Oh. You know what I mean? So it's a, like there is people that are pro barbecue sauce, people that are anti barbecue sauce. What are you? I'm man. I can't say this in public. <laughs> I don't know. I no. I love barbecue sauce. I love condiments. No, no, big any, time, any big condiment. time, man. But, lo- but you also need to have the right vessel for it. Yes, you don't want to be 100%. disrespecting. I, it. I love, I love the barbecue sauce. I, as a state, I think Texas makes the best barbecue sauce. Sorry, go, sorry, yeah. Louisiana. No, it's all right. Sorry, North Carolina, don't South worry. Carolina. Don't worry, stand by it. Yeah. Um, you touched on this earlier. How can you add a smoky flavor if you don't have a smoker? Says Nikki. Um, there is, if, if you're cooking in the oven uh, and you can get uh, wood chips, you do that, that whole exercise we did with the oil and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, set some oil on fire and a uh, small but, but like, you know, be careful with it. Don't set the whole plate, just a small thing. And in the oven, um, add those wood chips. There is also a very, very cool technique that works for everything, including sweets. Cool. Um, make a, make a little boat with foil, mm-hmm. put cheap oil in there. Um, get a piece of charcoal lid and then put it in the oil. It'll smoke for a very long time and it'll make anything you're cooking taste like barbecue. Oh, love the sound of that. Yeah, yeah. You've smoked some weird stuff in your time, Hatamata. Yeah. I'm thinking chocolate. Chocolate, camel. Camel. <laughs> <laughs> Look at our sequence. Yeah, girl. Hey, do you know the last time we had this conversation was how long ago? I don't even know. Guess. I'm being serious. I don't know. Two years? Five. No. Swear to God. I have the picture. Way. 2018. I have the stop pic- it. In, in this and very you brought me a brisket. Do you yes, know what you I did. Today? I remember eggs. eggs. You I, asked they're for beautiful them. eggs. Thanks. I'm very grateful. Yeah. What do you recommend I do with them? Um, I suggest you smoke them. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll do that one. Tell offline. us a little bit about your urban farm. Um, so the urban farm was uh, an experiment in keeping the girls connected to nature and not in the 
Lululemon Mercury's in retrograde sense. <laughs> I don't mean it in a disrespectful <laughs> way, but actually doing the work of looking after a flock, mm-hmm. um, getting their hands dirty, um, picking tomatoes, doing all of that. Um, and um, it turned into something, you know, much bigger. But at home, we've got chickens, we've got ducks, we've got rabbits, we've got six dogs now. Uh, we have a zonkey, we have a mule. A zonkey. We have a mule. And last season, uh, we raised a whole bunch of sheep. And in the summer, we slaughter everything, not the zonkey and the donkey, don't worry. But we slaughter everything. We give it to a public kitchen that turns it into meals. And then the girls and I go and distribute it. And we've done that since they were young. To matter. We run out of time. But before I let you go, between Time Out Market, Fire, of course, the Tabla, if we're going to eat at any of your spaces over the weekend, I'm so, like, I know so, it's like choosing, yeah, but choosing each, a each, child. Each, there's a good answer for that. Each one has its own thing. La Table is like come as you are, unpretentious, great um, playlist, which is mine, by the way. Uh, come, I have to say music at Fire is very good as well. It is Fire. It the, is fire. Even the playlist is Fire. Mm-hmm. So La Table in the heart of DIFC, kind of one of the most uptight, pretentious, you know, high performance <gasps> places. I don't mean it that way, but like, I mean, the work that's being done, come eat at La Table. If you want to share a barbecue tray for four people with six sides and a giant barbecue rib. I do. Go, the time out is your place. Go to Mothar. Okay. And then... If you want to breathe in the fresh air, take a look at the city from outside the city, only seven minutes away from uh, Al Hadiqa, and you want to see how your food is being made and whom is making it, please come to fire. Hatamata, thank you. You're an absolute superstar. All the very best to you and the team. The Wolf Pack, going to let you get back to the kitchen. It is Farmer's Kitchen with me, Helen Farmer. It's been an absolute pleasure. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Welcome back to the studio. Food writer, industry insider, Courtney Brandt. We're rounding up the latest food news and want to know from you, where are you going this weekend? What are you eating? Any recommendations for us? And where's the best slice of cake you've ever had? Arifa saying, Linda's fudge cake from the cake factory need to get googling courtney how are you i'm doing quite well we've got lots to talk about this afternoon i want to go straight in with an article that i've seen the most comments on in a very long time it came out of the times a writer who went to noma and spent i worked it out i got the old xe.com out i think around five thousand dirhams yes on dinner yes for context can you explain a little bit about noma and i don't want to say why they charge this amount but perhaps why people pay this amount there's a lot that goes into it. I know, well, I well, I always believe food is subjective and fine dining especially. Um, you know, I think expectations going in are high. I do think Noma hopefully pay a living wage. They get products that would be grown ethically or organically. So I, that, some of that would might be passed on to the customer. So mm-hmm. when we hear these high bills, think about, you know, try and unpack what goes into that. Yes, of course, the restaurant is going to make money. However, in a team, like Noma, the team in the kitchen could be 20 plus people. She hated it. She did hate it. She absolutely <laughs> hated it. So the way they work the reservations, it's a, it's a bit of a lottery, really. You, yes. you can submit your request and then you might get matches going. We've got a table in three weeks and then you've got to pack your, pack your bags for Denmark. Um, so her and her husband went and were underwhelmed from the outset, describing what sounded like a really scruffy greenhouse that you've got to sit in, and then told about the seating arrangement. It was, it's very well written. Um, and, I, and I think, again, if you're paying these, you know, this amount of money, you have every right to, to say, like, you know, okay, I, I got on a plane, and she acknowledges there's a lot of privilege in this. Mm-hmm. Well, she said, you know, this is privilege to know yes. about Noma, to be an opportunity to, to go there, to be able to pay for it. It said they saved, like, you know, little church mice in order to afford it, but 
to yeah. hate the whole experience. And I think you're right. It's that idea of expectation. There's a that's where the unhappiness lies yes. between expectation and reality. So they get there and are told they're sitting with strangers. Which maybe it's a lunch thing because I have been to Noma. I made a reservation three days out. Uh, this was back in the day. This is the origin story of Ada Zatar, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had a wonderful experience. So it was interesting to me to see the difference from, I guess, about seven or eight years that the Noma now, it sounded like the service was the the breaking point. That food will be experiential, but this kind of like... You know, cooler than cool and like, oh, did you not like that? And I could just hear that tone of voice, you know, and it's, yeah, of course, you ha- you are allowed to not like some of the dishes and some of the dishes they serve, which I can't mention on radio, mm-hmm. are very extreme. Yes. And you should, you could and would have a reaction to that. Of course you would. I think the attitude was what, what kind of came off the page there of just like, you are lucky to be here and... Go through this endurance challenge of eating. Not interested. Not yeah. interested, but it was. I do urge you to, to find it. It's a really, really good read. Um I don't believe I'm saying this, Courtney Brandt. <laughs> we're going to talk about rat snacks. We are. Not, not, we're not feeding no. any pet rats. This is a TikTok trend where people are showing off their rat snacks. What's a rat snack? So this is a Bustle article, and it's essentially that shame, perhaps shameful or secret food or snack, especially a snack that you eat that you probably wouldn't disclose. <laughs> and so the, the good people of TikTok are sharing said rat snacks. <laughs> The worst one I saw was like a cheese wrapped pickle. And I, I just People couldn't. People are going mad for this. Yes. Okay, so you get a slice of cheese, like, so how do you say it? Is it provolone? Yes. Pro- yeah, provolone. Yeah. Um, put it in a hot pan. Melt it. Put Melt it. Put a pickle in it and then fold up the pickle in the melted cheese. It's all protein. I kind of want to try it's, it. It's a little keto snack, I feel like. It yeah. is. Um, what other rat snacks are people showcasing? There's, there's a lot out there. And what I like is this article tried to make the case for, and I don't know if I believe it. Groceries cost more these days. Yeah. So people are coming together to put weirder combinations together. And and there you go. I have, and it's also what is always in your house. I'm going to admit on air a rat snack. I always have tortillas. I always have peanut butter and jelly. I put the peanut butter in the jelly and then I roll up the tortilla and I eat it. And I can make it in like one minute. So if I'm super duper hungry and I need that like salt sugar combination that's my rat snack i'm admitting it i'm you're looking at me in expectation that i'm going to share mine this is so disgusting bring it okay so this is so disgusting i really like potato chips with ketchup so i will often just squirt ketchup into a packet i just cringed so hard sometimes (laughs) might put it between bread okay Okay. The body, the, the soul and the heart wants what the heart wants. wants yes. The heart wants normally at around 10 o'clock while watching proper garbage TV. Yeah. And then I'm like, I've just eaten it and I don't even remember eating it because I'm watching like Love is Blind and my, my, I, just, my, I just want my whole body to forget the last hour of my life where I ate that and watched that. Yeah, where's the ketchup gone? Why, why are we out again? <laughs> Who ate I, can't, I can't imagine why. <laughs> no, no comment. Uh, chip soup was one that's gone pretty big. Yes. Crushed up potato chips in vinegar. <sighs> eaten with a spoon. Yeah, I... Guys, it's confession time. Yeah, we want to hear it. I want to hear. Yeah, I can't be worse than mine. I think yours is pretty darn civilized, Courtney Brandt. Those guilty rat snacks, the things that you don't really want to admit. You don't need to be anonymous. No, you do need, probably will need to be anonymous. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. 
Talking food, glorious food this afternoon, Courtney Brandt, content creator, industry insider, is on hand to guide us through where to go this weekend and what's happening in the news as well. Um, you, the big questions, are sheet cakes the best cakes? You, you asking at the right time, it's my daughter's birthday party on Sunday afternoon and I was like, what cake do we get? She's yeah. asked for a piñata cake. Oh, I think I know. We are in this city. We are spoiled for cakes, cookies, and they're all just beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good question to ask. The sheet cake is the best cake, and I didn't. I never. It's a topic I've not thought of. Um, <laughs> but but the cake to frosting ratio, excellent, consistent, easier to make, easier to travel with, easier to cut, easier to cut. Fairly, yes. for young children. Totally agree. Yeah, um, because one of my like. My kind of breakthrough mum moments is when you realise if it's a circular cake, you don't need to cut it in slices oh, no, like you just, a pizza. Yeah. Cut it down, cut it into squares. Yeah. Some lucky so-and-so is going to get a lovely edge with all the icing. So yes, thank you. Good good intel and uh, it's too late for me this time, but next time. Yes. Pinata cake, bless her. What I will say, and parents listening will understand this, pinata cake, great. Actual pinatas, nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare. Somebody's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get an elbow yep. in the eye and there's going to be tears. Yes. Uh, are we getting a piñata, you ask? Yes, we are. Okay. God, I'm like an absolute lamb to the slaughter. <laughs> um, can we talk flying? Because a lot of people heading off. Um, we've got eat break coming up. Um, airport eating. Yes. For me, it's an absolute rules are out the window. I'm just like absolutely feral at the airport. Yes. Um, any good and bad experiences and what's happening in the news? So this is a Washington Post that is essentially reminding you that you are perfectly capable of bringing and making your own snacks, which might be revolutionary. But I, uh, in early 2022, I was traveling quite a bit and I had a whole routine from Spinney's. I would get these exact same snacks. They were my special snacks. What would you get? <laughs> they had these like really special French cheese things that of course, yeah, oh. I, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. So, I, I But I would have like, I would have that. I would have my drink. I would have my like salty and sweet. And I like every flight, I would just say, oh, my snacks are ready. We're lucky. I think this this article came from the States where travel, air travel is not as amazing as it is here, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're getting on an Emirates flight, you're going to have a decent meal and they're going to look after you. But for everybody else, you know, it's long lines. It's this, it's that. So they're just saying we give you permission, make a good snack, get on the plane, don't have to think and don't have to spend because we know that it can be pr- quite pricey in the airport. It definitely, definitely adds up. Um, we've had mess. We've had a few a few rat snacks I love it a few rat snacks um ma- uh, cold mac and cheese oh that's a good do you know what like do you know what makes over? it a worse one put buffalo sauce on top oh get out of <laughs> yes. my studio get out um message here saying have tried the cheese and pickle and it works Okay. Game changer. All this right. weekend. It's okay. happening. All right. We'll, yeah. I'll, we'll, we'll have a go. Where are you going this weekend? What's on the foodie front for you? The foodie front is I am taking uh, my love of food abroad. Um, so next week I will be in the Netherlands. There's a big food tech conference. I am very flattered to be invited. But I have a list now um, of places I need to get to. Um, I've not been yet to City Social, which mm-hmm. is the new Jason Atherton. Atherton. Um, I need to get back to Haleo, which is... Um, uh, Jose Andres's uh, restaurant out at Royal Atlantis. I just, because it, I was very busy in February and not going out as much, and now I just have a lot to make up for. Last question for you, Courtney Brand, and this is a question I'm asking everybody this afternoon. You cannot win this prize. You are a friend of the show. 500 Durham voucher to spend at Spinney's. Because it is World Book Day. Happy World Book Day. <laughs> um, if you were to write your memoir, what would you call it? 
I it, the title came to me already. It's not written, uh, but it's called Pisces Out of Water. Oh. Um, yes, we're we're in the Pisces season. My birthday is two weeks from today, and I always thought because I've been in the desert for so long, Pisces Out of Water, just a, a reference to a number of things. So that's the title. I, I just gotta write it. it. We've got a lot of messages on this, and some really creative ones. I want to know, Holly. Fifty-one shades of grey. Tell us more. Arifa juggling like a mummy. Happy days, says Elizabeth. Here we go again from Sylvia. Halsey in days from Liz. The Seven Sands Chronicles from Majdi. Like a little That's UA a- reference. That's a great one. Regret Hurts. Chakim. Me and Broccoli. <laughs> Be happy and pro- I would I would read it um, for Simon. Uh, taste my life through food. I would read that very happily indeed. And late bloomer says Hilario. I tell you what. I'd rather be a late bloomer than it. Yeah. The best can always be ahead of you. Absolutely agree. Um, Courtney, your mail out's going out tomorrow for anyone that wants more food news, more recommendations, more gossip. What's the best way of getting in touch? It is, uh, you can find me on Instagram underscore Courtney Brandt underscore. There is a great section of links right there in the bio and I would be happy to have you join for free. Free newsletter. Free newsletter every single Saturday. Some brilliant foodie reading and writing. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinnies. Eat well, live well. We're meeting the chef this hour and joining us in the hot seat is the fantastic chef Ilias Dulimus. He is of Greek heritage, grew up in the beautiful city of Kalamata and brings to the Conrad at Dubai more than 20 years of culinary experience. And he's not just looking after one restaurant. No, 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 no. He heads up the culinary team across the whole F&B outlet for the entire hotel. Chef, thank you for making the time for thank us. Thank you very much for having me. Especially on a Friday. I know how busy you are. Before we talk what's on offer there at Conrad and some of the beautiful dishes you and the team, the huge team, are working on. Take us back to Kalamata. Tell us about growing up and who was cooking for you. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, Kalamata is very much connected with olive oil. Uh, So, you know, olive oil was one of the ingredients that I grow up and is one of the ingredients that is not missing in any of my dishes. And obviously, I make sure that I have one of the best olive oils in all my hotel and all my restaurants. I would hope so, sir. Indeed, indeed. I mean, I, w- I grew up in Kalamata, a small city, um, very much close to nature, um, um, growing uh, vegetables with the family and, you know, fresh fish because it's on the coast. Uh, I mean, it was pretty much very difficult not to be involved with food and, and, and love food and, and, and eventually becoming the passion of my life. Wow, so it sounds like you... I understood a lot about food from an early age. Do you think that's kind of formed your philosophy mm. around ingredients and working with them? Indeed. I mean, I'm not that kind of chef that is going to say, you know, I was very much inspired from my grandmother or mother. But, you know, you open the fridge during the winter and you have pickled eggplants and you have, you know, you, you're harvesting the oil, the olives and you're pickling the oils and you, are, you have this very fresh olive oil. And, you know, you're constantly following seasonality and, and vegetables. And during the summer, you eat mostly tomatoes. So obviously, these <laughs> things have changed, unfortunately, now. But this is how I grow up. So you fell in love with food, and that's taken you all over the world. You've worked in multi-Michelin star restaurants in, in Paris, Alain uh, Ducasse, you know, amazing, amazing mentors. What have you learned from both traveling and working with such amazing names? I mean... Yeah, the Michelin star was um, working for Michelin star chefs was, um, uh, you know, a, a dream came true as every chef when starting your career and, and leaving your country, you want to work somewhere that you're going to get inspired, learn, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et I mean, 
this restaurant is giving you obviously consistency, is giving you speed, is giving you accuracy, is giving you, you know, being uh, uh, persistent and, and you know, because it's, it's tough. It's tough. You know, the standards are very high. How many hours a day were you working in Long, Paris? long hours, but, you know, I, I, I will never regret. It's just an amazing experience. And, you know, I've learned a lot and I'm very thankful. So you had these mentors and now you are a mentor to over 80 chefs there at the Conrad Dubai. What do you look for in, in young chefs coming into the kitchen? I mean, for me, obviously, what I'm saying is, you know, I would like to have a very good working environment in my team. I want all of them to be friends and, and you know, respect each other. And and then we're going to move with um, uh, food safety and hygiene, which is extremely important. And then it's the food. Uh, as long as they are good friends, they collaborate well, and, you know, there is some organization and, and, and you know, hygiene in place, the food is going to be for sure good. That's it, interesting. Is- so it's attitude first. It's it's that the passion that you obviously have. And you can teach the skills, really, of to, course, to, of to, course. An, to an extent. So it sounds like you've got a merry band of people there. And I'm sure from all over the world as well, you know, chefs from, I don't even know, how many different countries do you think working shoulder to shoulder? Well, we have uh, around 18 to 19 different nationalities. Wow. We're a multicultural environment. Wow. So let's talk food. Um, how many outlets are you actually overseeing there, Chef? So, Corona Dubai, um, uh, under the umbrella of Hilton, of course. It's the luxury brand together with the world of Astorias. A big hotel, 555 rooms. Wow. Uh, and then we have Kimbo, which is our signature Korean bar. It's, it's a twisted Korean, not authentic Korean. It's an American Korean bar. Very interesting concept. Uh, uh, you have Anasa, which is our Greek restaurant, started as a pop-up last year, obviously. Look, I should tell you, for anyone that's not in the studio, Chef's face lit up there when he yeah. said Anasa. Tell us about the origin of this space. No, I'm 100%. It started as a pop-up and, and it's growing. It's my baby. I'm very proud of it. What's the food? Food is really Greek. It's very authentic. I mean, 95% of the products are coming from Greece. It's very simple, very unpretentious. Uh, just straight to the point, we try to do, you know, recipes with my Greek chef I have there. You know, flavors and textures that we grow up. Uh, there is no twist. Uh, there is no left and right. It's very straight to the point. What's some of your favorite dishes? As a octopus? Seafood octopus, obviously. Excellent. Seafood it needs to be fresh, coming from Greece, from, uh, from sustainable sources and islands in Greece. And, and I love everything. I love everything. <laughs> so we've got Kimbo, you said there, Anasa, and then there's, I think, four others. We have uh, Balaro, which is our all-day dining restaurant uh, that recently we changed the menu and it's uh, very, very Italian, very authentic Italian. Um, we have uh, Blissix, which is our pool area, you know, international fare. You have a little bit of Peruvian food, a little bit, you know, things that you, li- you want to eat when you are next to, next to the pool. And uh, we have Cave, which is our friend's wine bar and circuitry. That's a lot of fun. I've had some good nights at Cave. Yeah, it's like indeed. the kind of cozy, kind of like ski chalet kind of feel, mm. with blankets and yeah, really, really lovely absolutely, one. Absolutely, absolutely. And then Isla as well. Isla. Isla, Isla it's our um, uh, lobby area, but you will be surprised how busy can be a lobby area in, in a big hotel like uh, that. Well, given that we had Gulf Food last week and the number of people around Trade Centre and going over that walkway to the Conrad, it does not surprise me. It was probably one of the busiest spots around. Um, I wanted to come back to your, you're talking there about sustainability um, and lots of restaurants focusing on this. So I, I wanted to get your take on how you're incorporating it across the outlets, but also I know you've got that Ramadan Green Initiative coming up as well, Chef. Yeah. What's that about? So sustainability is something um, really important and hotels uh, and properties my size can really make an impact. 
Uh, we are in UAE. We have more than 30,000 uh, uh, farms uh, growing amazing products. Uh, we can find, you know, ethically grown chickens, free-range chickens, eggs. Uh, you can have um, sustainable salmon and hamachi at the moment. And there is so many things we, the chefs, can, um, uh, you know, buy from local market. And it's not because we want to support financially the, the local market. It's about, you know... We don't want our products traveling, you know, from the other, the, just across the the, the, the the global and and having an asparagus coming from Peru, for example, if we can find an amazing asparagus here in mm -hmm. UAE and in Dubai. So, you know, carbon emission is very important to be reduced. Uh, and and we are trying as an operation, we collaborate very much with something that is coming from corporate offices and all Hilton hotels are working very closely this in these regards. Um Coming to Ramadan, um, now you, you've been in the UAE just a couple of years and arrived 2021, so COVID times, although the kind of the tail end of that. And during that time, we saw some big shifts in F&B, you know, a real move away for hygiene purposes from the buffets, which have historically been, a, you know, a real kind of centerpiece for, for many Ramadan offerings. How do you think that's going to be, I, go, I don't know, how is it going to be affected? What are you planning on the Ramadan front at, there at the Conrad? Um I mean, obviously, we're very happy that this um, COVID era is, is, is back to, uh, to the past and Too I hope right. will not come back. Um, um, Corona Dubai is going to have um, uh, an outdoor area and an outdoor venue. Uh, we're going to make an, uh, an amazing um, uh, theme, the green theme, the Ramadan this year. We're going to be very much focused on, on food waste. Uh, we collaborate with companies like we now, where we install systems in our kitchens uh, in order to control and, and measure this um, food waste. So you Other, can track. You yeah, can, we can track. We even have, down to kind of where there's lots of, I don't know, fish coming back to the kitchen or with this bread. Everything. Really? Even when we're going to clear a buffet at the end of the service or even what is left over from the plates, we're going to track, calculate and see how we can reduce which area is not moving, where we can save, we can you know, reduce uh, uh, the uh, uh, production, etc., etc. Wow, really, really, wow, that's, that's amazing. And I think that speaks to a really interesting point that when you have got such a big property, there is a big responsibility with that for of educating course. us as diners, but also understanding the impact you can have on planet and bottom line. And yeah, fantastic, especially during Ramadan. Okay, this is the last question, but probably the toughest. If we're going to come to Conrad Dubai this weekend and we can go to any of those six outlets, what is the dish that you feel like is Chef Elias on a plate? Again, because of my nationality and, and because I'm Greek, Anasa will always be the, the place where I will um, uh, say you should go and, and try as an outlet. But, you know, every restaurant has its own concept and, and um, all of them have amazing dishes and great food. Okay, We're you're not answering my question. One dish. One dish. <laughs> Um, my octopus with a nice fava beans and the um, oh. uh, asparagus row on the side will be the one I would uh, I would suggest. Anasa, his third daughter, Chef Elias, thank you so, so much. It's been my an pleasure. absolute pleasure. Get back to that fantastic team at the Conrad and all the very best for the coming thank you weeks very going much. Thank for you. Ramadan. Chef Elias Dulimus joining me, Helen Farmer, on Farmer's Kitchen. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It is Friday. It's Farmer's Kitchen. I'm Helen Farmer and joining us now from Spinney's is the content and creative director. Tiffany Essek is with us. The new issue of Nourish is on the shelves. Tiffany, um, it is World Book Day and I've seen your cookbook collection. So I wanted to get your take really on some of your favourites. Um, what have been some of your most enduring go-tos? 
Wow, yes, you have seen the collection, so uh, there's no hiding away from that excessive number of books that I have. I mean, define um, excessive. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing, right? Um, okay, go-tos. Wow. Um, I think Ottolenghi, you know, any of his books, I think I've got them all. Um, you'll find something that you need to make for any occasion. It's, you know, there's some recipes with like tons of ingredients that are needed. Or if you look at something like Simple, that's an easier one from him. So I often go to that. Um, I'm actually a big fan of Bill Granger. I don't know Australian Bill Granger. Chef. Tell me about yeah. him. Oh, actually, so I've had... seen a cookery show of his. Um, yeah, he was, was on TV network. a lot. Yeah. Um, he's, had some, he's got some cafes and restaurants in Australia. Um, I've been to a couple of them. And his food is just, it's, all those recipes work out really well. Um, I'm always making his blueberry pancakes from his Bill, it's like Basic Bill or Bill's Basic, something like that. That book, it's covered in all sorts of ingredients from me overusing it. Um, I love Alison Roman. So I've got all her books and I know there's a new one coming out, so that's going to be added to my collection. But, um, you know, I actually... I, I, I can't choose. Um, no, I, wanted, I wanted to ask yeah. you because you obviously are a huge fan of the genre. Um, do you think cookery books still have a place when so many of us, and myself included, often find ourselves Googling, you know, I have these ingredients, what should I make? Or having recipe websites instead. What do you think a book yeah, gives you? Absolutely. I think when, especially when these, you know, cooks and chefs are telling a bit more of a story inside the book, so you want to sit back read it over a weekend, read about it you know, if they're talking about traveling through a country or mm. something from their childhood. I think you, you want to take that slowly. You might, you, know, you might skim read it on the internet, but we miss a lot when we're reading online. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they can't ever go out. You know, they, they have to stay forever. Yeah, uh, I think they, it's a chance to make something that lo- looks beautiful, lasts for a lifetime, can be shared with, you know, passed down through families and through friends. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll I always have that idea it. of being a mm. legacy. You know, my mm. my mum made me like a recipe binder um, a few years ago of some of the the recipes that we grew up with over the years, where she'd photocopied and scribbled on, and you know, splattered Aww. ingredients on. And there are some some books that I just immediately make me think of my mum and things that you know things that have been on on her shelf over the years. So I love the idea of passing passing them down yeah. as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Now let's talk spice. I'm getting spicy this mm. afternoon. As I said, the new issue of Nourish magazine is on the shelves. Tiffany, you and the whole team have been working really, really hard on it. And spice is the theme, really. And it's, it is very much topical when we think about, well, Ramadan in particular coming up. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you're addressing an enormous topic on the pages of the yeah. magazine? <laughs> well, when I set out to do this, I was like, okay, you're going to need like seven magazines minimum mm-hmm. just, to get, you know, just to get your point across. But what we tried to do was look at the differences of how you know spices are used in certain cuisines and some similarities as well and this yeah this was inspired because we know that Ramadan's coming up but if you look at Easter for example which is also coming in the same period there's a lot of spice that goes into say hot cross buns so we we thought that this would work really well covering a lot of occasions that are coming up over March and April um but also let us you know do justice to spices so we have basically looked a lot at like the Middle East. We've looked at India, Africa, the Caribbean, um, specifically something in Mexico as well, um, the Far East, but sort of like touching on things within themes. So let's say we've looked at spiced rice 
rice dishes, for example. You know, every cuisine seems to have one, but like, how are we all doing it differently? Mm-hmm. Um, or lamb and spice, for example. We know lamb is a, a huge showstopper, whether it's Easter or Ramadan. So what are we doing across the world with spice and lamb? And it's, it's just sort of that worked. And I managed to find endless examples of what we could turn into great recipe themes. I love the idea of different countries and cultures using the same spice in different ways. Are there any examples that come to mind? Well, you know, something where it might not be the same spice, but it's the idea. So if you look at adobo, um, which is, we've featured that in our iconic spice mixture, the sort of mass feature where we look at 12 different spice mixtures from around the world and then share a recipe for that. That actually came from the Spanish, um, you know, when they were traveling around the world, colonizing different places. Um, But it means to marinate. And so... You know, what it might mean, say, in Mexico, where it's a wet marinade or a dry one in the Caribbean, in the Philippines, it's something completely different. It's more of a stew, but it's, you know, the meat that's cooked with vinegar and soy sauce. But it was inspired because the Spanish saw a similar cooking way of what they were doing, and so it was marinating it so, with spices. And so I think that's really interesting. So that sort of similarity, um, and there's quite a few examples of that throughout the magazine. I love the sound of that. Um, and also how you know, fragrant spices can be, how much they can take you somewhere. And, you know, I'm thinking, I mean, obviously we've got the incredible souk here in Dubai, but, you know, wherever you are in the world, there tends to be a scent, and specifically normally a spice. You know, it's so, so interlinked with travel. Um, mm. where, where have you done some good spice shopping in, uh, in your time, Tiff? Oh, gosh, definitely in Morocco. Um, I think that's one of my favorite places. India, um, in the Far East as well, just trying different things. Um, it's been in Vietnam, um, I'm trying to think in Thailand for sure, uh, Mexico recently I was yeah, there. Yeah, what did and, you bring um, back from Mexico? Well, not much because I had all these internal flights and oh. so I was quite limited. You know, I flew with Emirates since I had tons of luggage and then I really had to be good because usually I'll come back with like every single ingredient from under the sun and then, you know, end up giving it away because I don't have time to cook it all. Um, but I am going to be doing a lot more different types of chilies. Like I learned a lot about that um, and just making different, you know, marinades for, for meats and things. Um, yeah, and they make this amazing drink with, like, passion fruit and then chili inside that. Um, so I'm going to be making that as well. And some recipes in Nourish as well, using some of your favorite spices? Absolutely. Um, I mean, again, like cookbooks, I can't really choose because I seem to be, you know, but I think I'm allowed to change my mind. Um, there is something, we talk about Durban curry masala mix um, in the magazine as well, part of the iconic feature as well. And um, I actually was born in the you know, the province where Durban is, um, so it's something that's from my childhood. Um, and it's quite interesting because there's a huge Indian population outside of India living in South Africa. Um think a lot of people came over from Chennai. They were brought over as laborers, you know, hundreds of years ago. And what's interesting is the cuisine there is it's really fiery hot. So they look a lot at the chilies and oil and spices. You don't really see a lot of cream and yogurt in the recipes. Um, So this masala mix is something that I've loved eating since I was a kid. And basically it's used in one of the uh, sort of most famous recipes in South Africa called the bunny chow. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, I've heard of it, but never had it. Yeah, so it's like a hollowed out loaf of bread, usually white bread, um, and then it's filled with a curry mixture and it's 
fantastic um like you know after a night out or if you just want some comfort food um yeah so that masala mix but there's a bit of information about it in the mag a lot more information in the mag and then another recipe okay consider me inspired this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 with spinnies eat well live well great to have you with us this friday afternoon hope you're having a really lovely one um lots to look forward to over the weekend and right here on the show as well in conversation now the creative and content director of Spinney's Tiffany Eslick is with us as we delve into the new Nourish magazine. It's on shelves now. We've been getting spicy with some recipes and now we're taking some travels. You have some gorgeous, gorgeous photography in the magazine, Tiff. Honestly, it's just beautiful. Both food and the world too. And you've got, done a gorgeous travel feature. Um, and I'm particularly interested because you're looking at Zanzibar where I'm on countdown to going in, I think, 16 days. So... Take me to Zanzibar, and what are we, what are we eating? <laughs> so, yes, I hope that you have a lot of time for your trip because I'm going to give you a lot of tips on where to go. And um, so, yeah, I was really fortunate enough to go to Stone Town and stay at Park Hyatt there. Uh, we thought we had to feature Zanzibar being the Spice Island. Um, and essentially, I think Park Hyatt is located in such a great position. Um, it's right on the beach. It's in an old building that was owned by this Omani trader, um, and they've really done it up beautifully. And then there's also a sort of new wing added to it, but you feel like you're part of history there. Um, and, you know, you stone throw from all the sort of back alleys of Stone Town and all the markets like Darajani or Furadani. So that's a really good place to go at night to Furadani Market. Um, you can pick up all sorts of like sizzling skewers and interesting things like mango and chili salt. Uh, you have to try that. Oh, um, that it comes in a amazing. Okay. Yeah. It comes in a bag, you shake it up, um, put in quite a lot of the chili salt, and then it's a green mango, and then you just pick it at it while you're walking around. Um, oh, and yeah, and then, you know, there's part, you actually can spend a lot of time, if you have time to even visit the hotel. They've got, uh, for breakfast, they've got this excellent local offering. So every morning I was having like arroyo, which is their comforting soup. It's a traditional dish there. And you sort of load things on top of it. So like spiced potato balls, um, mishkaki, which are kebabs, you know, little mini skewers, chili, cassava chips. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. And it's. It, you can keep going. It doesn't make you want to go back to sleep. Um, it's really, really good. Um, and, you know, everywhere you go in the markets, you'll see, like, fresh coconuts. And so at the hotel, they actually work with one of the local coconut sellers who they found in the streets, brought him to the hotel. His name is Jamu. And he will crack open a coconut for you every morning. And he's got all these flavored spice syrups. So I was putting, like, cinnamon syrup into fresh coconut water, which was such a you know revelation for me and this is how I want to have coconut from now on it sounds like um, it sounds like the people yeah. you know really bringing that food to life as well which is you know can, it can just yeah. absolutely make or break a holiday did you get the chance to do any lessons did you learn much um you know kind of about how to put it together yourself Absolutely. So I did a cooking class with their chef, uh, Chef Musa, which was great. We made a, it's called, a, it's a fish dish, which is grilled with like coconut and tomato. And then we also did a Zanzibari style um, biryani, which was great. Um, I also got to go out. I went to a spice farm. Um, we It was with Zan Tours and this fabulous um, tour guide called Yusuf, who basically has never left Zanzibar. And he says he, he knows everything. You know, he's left no stone unturned, but if you took him away, he knows nothing. And wow. he says he's quite happy to never leave. And it was just the most 
insightful tour because we went somewhere and you know it can sound like a tourist trap experience but it wasn't you know you're not forced to buy the spices afterwards it's they really want to teach you about everything so i really thought that was good um and then there's also this really great place if you have time it's called emerson um house and you can go it's in stone town and you have this dinner on top of the rooftops and there it's all sorts of The menu's quite varied. It's not only spicy food, but it's sort of talking about all the different people who have come through and, you know, conquered Zanzibar or been there or influenced it. Um, And there's there's a woman who does some sort of traditional Zanzibari singing. So you're sitting there overlooking everything and you've got, it's just magical. So definitely try and do that. Oh my goodness, Tiff, this sounds absolutely amazing. Okay, so Mm. travel and food and spice um i wanted to ask you a little bit more coming back to spice actually because you're talking about it in irish cuisine what's going on there so as it turns out and i mean you know my affinity for ireland having studied at cooking school um but um spice has actually been used for since like the time of the vikings in ireland and you know, often people think, oh, it's just potatoes in Ireland. And actually, it's there's such interesting cuisine there. And so, yeah, so a number of different spices have been used throughout their recipes. So we feature, I think, four or five. Okay, brilliant. I am down to try that as well. Um, and a little, we've got time for a tiny restaurant roundup. Um, I know you and the team go out and try some of Dubai's and the UAE's kind of fine, finest and brightest. Any Anywhere you think would be good for the weekend? Yes, so for me, I say head to June's for brunch. Um, I think what Chef Colvin's doing there is really good. Um, have the chicken waffles. They are gluten-free, so you, know, you can tell yourself that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my number one recommendation. Uh, but we also tried Mahala um, with their new menu. So if you look Mahala like in that. D3, same one? Uh, yes, correct, yeah. What were the highlights of the menu? Um, so definitely the lamb chops. Um, which are grilled on the tinder, really apparent. Uh, so Davina went to that, so she was talking about it. Uh, Davina's our digital editor. Um, so try that. Um, yeah. Sold. A good All weekend right. of eating. Uh, sounds like a brilliant weekend of eating. Where are you heading over the next couple of days? So I'm actually doing some recipe testing this weekend. Um, so that's probably what I'm going to be doing. And then working out because I've promised uh, my coach at F45 that I will do more working <laughs> out. <laughs> I am not going out to dinner anyway. <laughs> Everything yeah. in moderation. We'll have a fantastic yeah. time. Jeff. Really, really appreciate it. And we'll catch up with you very soon. Happy cooking. And I'm very keen to hear how the recipe testing goes because that could be something we yeah. see on an upcoming issue of Nourish. Tiffany Eslick joining us. She is there, the content and creative director at Spinney's and the new issue of Nourish is on the shelves. It is spicy and I'm sharing some alphabet dating. Speaking of putting some spice into your relationship and I will leave it at that for you to discover. (laughs) Have a good one. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are taking you to Italy now. Roberto's is known for serving its customers for so long now in DIFC, that authentic contemporary Italian fine dining experience, or as they call it, a slice of the Dolce Vita. It not only attracts a really regular, fun-loving crowd at DIFC, but some really well-known celebrities too. Royalty, Jennifer Lopez, and you can't call yourself an authentic Italian restaurant unless you have an authentic Italian chef. And they deliver there. Joining us in the studio now is their head chef, Daniel Lovala. Can you say, please, Roberto's and... Dolce Vita in a much more authentic way, Chef. <laughs> of course, Roberto's. Oh, very nice. And uh, Dolce Vita? 
Dolce Vita. Oh, right, you can stay. Thank you, Chef. Appreciate it. Now, let's talk about where you grew up, which was, of course, Italy. You grew up in Alba. Where, oh, yeah. What and where, tell us a little bit about what it's best known for in terms of food, of course. Oh, well, uh, Alba is a very small, uh, tiny city, but um, surrounded by really amazing food. From the hazelnut, the truffle, it's uh, mushroom, so everything is grow around me. So it was a uh, impressed from this kind of uh, food and quality of the food. You probably weren't impressed. It was probably just normal for you to yeah, have amazing food yeah, around you. Yes. Who was cooking? Uh, I mean, my mom, of course. Of mm. course, my mom. But, um, you know, like uh, all Italian, the grandmother was... Uh, <laughs> please, say, please say nonna. Please Still say now, say nonna, nonna. Oh, so what, what, was, what, was being, what was on the kitchen table? What were you eating growing up, chef? Uh, of course, the pasta was not missing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, that... Uh, priority for us um, but for us also very important we are from Piedmont so yeah a lot of starter a lot of uh, cold dishes uh, more more meaty but uh, yeah absolutely starter and pasta is uh, for us very important so when One. did you start to think that I want food to be my life and my career was that an early decision or did it come to you a little bit later on yeah, like I told you, everything was surrounded by food. So I was thinking uh, to to start a career um, on on the food. But um, my dad had a bar in my city, so I started to say, you know, I can start maybe to to study about the bartenders and everything, and uh, continue the way of my dad. My dad, um, of course, in this in the school, you're studying everything, mm-hmm. even in the the kitchen and everything. I start to really like how to manipulate the food, how you can uh, change the flavor, how you can cut, cook, uh, change the texturas and everything. So for me, it was an uh, impress. I was really like to do that, these things. And then after two years, I definitely chose to start to do the... The kitchen. The kitchen. To start the, kitchen. The, the kitchen was calling. Absolutely. Now, a story that caught my eye in the headlines today is about, I was going to call him a chef, but let's just call him Brooklyn Beckham. He is in the news again for cooking uh, what he calls a fettuccine Alfredo, but using spaghetti and making a bechamel sauce instead of an Alfredo sauce. Does this kind of thing just break your heart? <laughs> He's taking a deep breath. He's taking a deep breath. It does. (laughs) A bit. (laughs) What are some of the crimes against Italian food that you have witnessed in your Uh, life? The most famous is pizza with the ananas. (laughs) Bananas. No pineapple on the pizzas. Really? Does it it break your heart a little bit? Yeah, actually, yes. Yes, What about uh, people snapping spaghetti to get it into the pan? No, please. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, Spaghetti for that. So I need to say... Okay, what about like using that. the wrong type of pasta with the with the wrong sauce? Yeah, the people believing that uh, the pasta is all the same. No, the texture of the pasta, the shape of the pasta is changing completely the flavor of the, the sauce. Tell us it's, more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if the pasta is more thick, uh, releasing more uh, uh, in the sauce, becoming more thick. So for that, uh, yeah, otherwise... Uh, was easy to to do only one kind of pasta, no? <laughs> this is this is absolutely yeah, fascinating. Absolutely. What about having cappuccino uh, at morning, noon, and night? Oh, no. In the morning, yes. But after <laughs> lunch, after, <laughs> after 11. lunch, espresso, or but no, no cappuccino. I mean, not in Italian way. <laughs> not the Italian way, which is what it's all about, Roberto. Tell us then about your journey from your native <coughs> Italy to the UAE. How has that been? Yeah, I I was working for one uh, mission star chef, Enrico Bartolini, who's actually is our culinary, still our culinary chef. And um, he told me that he was uh, 
uh, have a chance to open a, a restaurant in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Were so, you like, where? <laughs> what is this Abu Dhabi? <laughs> so, where? <laughs> Abu Dhabi. And then uh, say, it's calling Roberto's, it's a, a new group and everything. So you say, you know what, let's take this challenge. And uh, I didn't speak English before, nothing, no. zero. I, uh, no, really, zero. I came here to say just uh, hello <laughs> and nothing else, really. Oh, so. Uh, I came here, I started to work with our executive chef, Enrico, uh, sorry, uh, Francesco Guaracino, and I'm still here. We opened Abu Dhabi together for four years, then uh, uh, I moved here in Dubai, and um, I'm still here. <laughs> Let's talk food. Make us hungry, please, Chef Danilo. Tell us about what some you of know? <laughs> I want to know about signature dishes, some of the things that are some of your favorites to serve and that the diners are loving. Mm, very good. Yeah, so our signature dishes, of course, is our octopus. is a slow-cooked octopus uh, with the cacio pepe sauce and artichoke. Oh, that sounds amazing. This is uh, really is a soft, smooth inside, then crispy outside, served with the, uh, this uh, cacio pepe sauce, the, like made with the pecorino cheese, okay? And uh, the artichoke marinated with lemon. So you have the, all the three ingredients matching very well. Normally, we are not using fish and cheese but in this way it's really well funny you should say that we've just had a message here from Piero who I'm guessing is Italian saying ask chef about cheese on seafood pasta and cream and carbonara normally no (laughs) (laughs) normally no normally no but when you're doing it right if you're matching if you you can you need to try it by yourself it means not for everything uh, the seafood pasta with parmigiano, we actually don't suggest in our restaurant. There you go. <laughs> or to add cream or anything else. <laughs> well, I have to say, hungry, uh, yeah, I'm now craving Italian food, but done properly. So we've got time for today, and I really do appreciate your time, especially on a Friday. I know there's a lot happening there at Roberto's, and we'll talk, I'm sure, very soon. But you've got an iftar going on and all the way through um, just absolutely delicious food. Chef, thank you. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. Chef de Lavella joining us, head chef there at Roberto's. Putting us right. No cappuccinos after lunchtime, folks. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.